Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys. So I'll make this pitch extremely easy for you. We've got a free $20 to hand to you, which you can use on fantasy sports betting immediately. All you have to do is download the Thrive Fantasy app, sign up using the promo code LEGACY, and deposit a minimum of $20, and you'll get an instant $20 bonus tacked onto that. With the NBA reset season and playoffs underway, fantasy sports and daily betting for the resident NBA junkie has never been this intense and this fun. And when it comes to fantasy betting platforms, make sure to make the right choice and hashtag prop up on Thrive Fantasy this season. Thrive Fantasy is a daily fantasy sports app for players that makes games super simple and intuitive that even first-time beginners can pick it up instantly. Enter a contest where all you have to do is choose 10 out of the 20 player prop options to build your lineup. You're merely dealing with over-under prop bets that each have a point total associated to them based on likelihood of occurring. The more points a selection is worth, the riskier it is. Rack up the most points to win a share of the prize pool. So what are you waiting for? Win some money on the side while you watch the excitement of this year's NBA playoffs. Again, use promo code LEGACY when you sign up today and you'll receive an instant $20 bonus on your first deposit of $20 or more. Download Thrive Fantasy on the App Store or Play Store or by visiting their website www.thrivefantasy.com. Sign up and hashtag prop up today. everybody to the Lakers Legacy Podcast where you can blow the whistle all you want, but it ain't gonna matter because the smooth operators are here and they're ready to steal your series and steal your girl, whatever that means. So a lot has hey. happened in the NBA the last week and some tangible steps to change seem to be underway. But the one thing that hasn't changed amidst the mini hiatus is... Lakers info. Uh, And after forgetting that game one of the Portland series started on August 18th, the Lakers have since gone on to win the last four games in a gentleman's sweep of the best eighth seed in the history of the NBA, the Portland Trailblazers. And for the first time since May 12, 2012, the Lakers have finally won a first-round playoff series, advancing to the second round to play either the Rockets or Thunder, who are currently playing as we record. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez. I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. 
Tommy, May 12, 2012, the Lakers went into Game 7 versus the Denver Nuggets. <laughs> I was actually at that game. I totally forgot, but I was perusing through my Instagram, and I was like, oh, I was at that game. And before I share my recollections, what, if anything, do you remember from that particular game or that particular time? Dude, I'm going to say when people said that this was the last game that we won, I mean... If somebody said, like, oh, it was the last win was this year against Denver, I might have been like, yeah, that makes sense. Because I recall that the last year that we had a playoff win, we exited the playoffs in a four-game sweep to the Mavs, and that was the year the Mavs won the finals. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that right? Or was that the following year? No, we got swept by the Mavs. I think in terms of playoff series, a playoff series win, this is the last time. This is the last one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so anyway, so I I would have believed, you know, generally that this happened. I could not believe that this series went to seven games. I mean, I was like, (laughs) who did Denver even have at that time? I mean, but, but, you know, I guess they've always had this weird formula that they currently have. But I want to say, once once I heard from you and others that – it was the game seven against Denver was the last game we won. I want to say this was some weird game where Bynum had like a million blocks or he had like eight <laughs> blocks or something. It was like, a, he almost had like a, you know, triple double with blocks. So it was something like that happened, I think, but I don't know. Yeah. The triple double with blocks happened in this series, but this game seven against the Nuggets, I think Devin Eubanks, Devin Ebanks started, <laughs> Devin Eubanks. Uh, which is ridiculous. This was the game that Steve Blake randomly hit five threes and had 19 points to help us, you know, win and close this series out. It, it is ridiculous to think about the fact that we had Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum, and struggled to close this Nuggets team out because the Nuggets on, on their end, I was like, Carmelo must have been on this team, right? No Carmelo. Chauncey Billups? <laughs> Alan no Iverson? Chauncey Billups. <laughs> Allen Iverson? No, dude. They had Ty Lawson, who was pretty young at that point, oh, Aaron Aflalo, Gallinari, Kenneth Fareed, and Timofey Mozgov. I was like, how <laughs> how did we go seven to this team? And I, I forget the context of what happened this season. I don't want to say things wrong, but was this after the failed Chris Paul trade or something? Because there must have been some turmoil or strife regarding the Lakers this season for us to... I don't know, not confidently walk into the first round because I was checking also my Instagram posts and actually right after we won game seven, my caption was, yay, we won game seven, but oh no, I'm scared. So <laughs> so wait, sorry, was this the year though that the following round we got swept by the Mavs? Was this that same year? I think this was after that because 2011, I think was the year that, that Phil Jackson left and this was the Mike Brown year after that. So we got swept by the Mavs the year before. But yeah, so this was Game 7. JaVale McGee was actually on the Nuggets at the time. And if you can believe it or not, he played 31 minutes during Game 7. Maybe that's why they lost. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> he, had, he had 14 rebounds and 5 blocks, though. Um, Kobe had, let's see here, 17 points, 8 assists. But it was really Andrew Bynum and Pau Gasol who showed out, along with Steve Blake, the Blake Bamba who hit five of six from three. Uh, Pau Gasol had 23 points and 17 rebounds, six assists and four blocks. My God. Uh, Andrew Bynum, 16, 18, six blocks. So good on them. Meta World Peace was there as well. And then our favorite Ramon session. So what a time. But the Lakers are finally back to winning playoff series again and moving on to the second round. I would say that 
Oh, sorry. To close the loop on this, this was the year that we were desperate for Amon Sessions and desperate for Michael Beasley. So I think this season we were not doing so great, evidenced by the fact that we were desperate for Michael Beasley. Um, And I think not having Lamar Odom hurt us. So I think we were trying to rebound from the, the failed Chris Paul deal. So uh, anyways, we will leave the past in the past, get on with the future. Tommy, we are in the second round. How does it feel that the Lakers actually close this out in a gentleman's sweep sort of way? Yeah, it feels great. Thank you for asking. Uh, no, it, it, <laughs> sure. It's nice to have a convincing Series 1 win. I mean, I don't know that I would have felt it. And I do consider this, to be clear, a convincing win. I mean, I think... We played not the 16th team, despite records. Um, I don't think we played the 16th best team in the playoffs. I think we played maybe the 14th, you know, at worst. I think, like, Portland was not... Yeah, I don't think they were the best eighth seed of all time, to be clear. But I also don't think that they were, like, horrendous. And I feel like we pretty convinced... When we... It, it was just so obvious in this series when we were ramping it up and not ramping it up... And I caught, like, as much as I want to give the team crap for that, it, like, when they did ramp it up, it was very apparent. (laughs) I mean, like, you know, we won the second game, like, by 30, you know, or we were up by, you know, 38 points at one point. Um, Game after that, we were up most of the game, and, like, when we ramped it up, it became a blowout. Same thing with the last game. When we ramped it up, it became a blowout. Like, all the games except for that one where we blew them out by double digits wire to wire, they all kind of felt the same, and... I, I, you know, it as as much as I, like I was saying, as much as I want to be kind of annoyed by that because you kind of want your team to just like send a message and beat everybody by thirty. It just like it doesn't happen every year. It's it it, it it's going to be a process, and they're pacing themselves. You don't want to show all your you know cards too early if you don't have to. Um, and so I think like you know all all in all, it was a very very satisfying series win. If we could win this, that would be great as well, this next series. And, you know, the only thing I will consider a disappointment is not making it to the Western Conference Finals this year. Other than that, mm-hmm. anything else is, um, you know, as, as long as we do that, then then I feel like this season was a success, given how everything started and came together and obviously factoring in the craziness and all that. Yes, definitely factor in the craziness and the what everybody went through the last week or so when we didn't even think we'd get a game five potentially and yeah uh after the crazy events the last few days with the nba the historic nba boycott the walkout and then the following deliberation and then add on top of that the passing of actor chadwick boseman it's obviously been an emotionally charged weekend for the players and one that may have gone very differently for everyone involved had they opted not to continue playing but I think after some understandably tense initial few hours, the Lakers and the league eventually all put their heads together, decided to make some concrete demands to their owners and billionaire owners with the most power, and decided that they were going to continue to use their platform and newly found leverage in the bubble and push for tangible change and action while closing out the rest of the season. Uh, personally for me, I'm not going to get too political here, but I'm glad the players boycotted regardless of the fact that it started off disorganized and poorly thought out. Uh, this is one of the few instances, I think, where the old adage of process over results can be flipped on its head. And I'd actually place more emphasis on results over process uh, because the end goal here is to try and 
make a difference and make change in the players' eyes. And it doesn't really matter how they got to this point, how disorganized it was initially, and how disgruntled and annoyed certain players were to be blindsided by the Bucks, as evidenced by what has come out about LeBron James' disappointment, which is totally understandable. At the end of the day, as long as they got to this point, and now they can begin moving forward with one unified voice. Look, these are complicated issues. There is much divisiveness and soapbox yelling going on in this country right now with very little effort to empathize and understand. And the most important thing I can say, I feel like, is educate yourselves, sincerely listen, and please make sure you register to vote, Vote vote.org. In fact, the Staples Center will be a registered voting place where you can cast your ballot starting Friday, October 30th through Election Day, November 3rd. So no matter where you stand, please just make sure to register to vote. Tommy, is there anything else you'd like to add? No, I think you covered it. I, I agree. It's completely very complex time. And uh, yeah, I mean, you, I support the league. I support the players. And, and I think everything um, everything will hopefully work out. Cool. With that said, let's plug ourselves really quick. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on iTunes. We are just three ratings and reviews away from the heralded lit 420. So help us get over that hump. Please also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Lakers Legacy, where you can catch these podcast episodes as well. And lastly, check out the Thrive Fantasy app. Use promo code LEGACY upon signup and a $20 deposit on your end and get an additional $20 free to play with. During yesterday's slate of NBA playoff games, Tommy ranked second and I got fourth in the mini NBA room we both ended up playing in <laughs> without so, actually knowing we yeah, played in. so random. Uh, I had no idea Tommy was in that same contest, but I think we both put in $5 and you wound up with how much? 20 $20 and I nabbed $15 thanks to Kawhi Leonard, Jamal Murray, Jokic, and Donovan Mitchell. But no thanks to Trey Burke for going over 5.5 rebounds and assists. I thought that was an easy under, my friend, but he just decided to like rack up all these rebounds all of a sudden, and he had a combined 12 rebounds and assists total. So did you hit all your five, by the way? No, I missed one. I think I actually might have missed the same one. Trey Burke? Yeah. <laughs> we hate you, Trey Burke. <laughs> uh, but yes, join in on the fun. The easiest $20 for free that you'll get. So just sign up using the Thrive Fantasy app. Use promo code LEGACY and an extra $20 is yours. Anyway, we're going to close this plugging section out by going back to the iTunes rating and reviews. And uh, we're going to bring up the, the review of the night. And as usual, we're going to have impressionist extraordinaire Tommy read the review. Tonight, he'll be reading it as Marcus Morris Senior. Marcus Morris Senior, take it away. This review is entitled, If You Want a Fan Perspec, dot, 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 by W.W. Garay. I don't follow a ton of podcasts. Even when it comes to basketball, you guys were one of the first, approximately three-ish podcasts I started listening to. I love it because it is, to me, one of the best podcasts that feels like it's legit Laker fans. Like one of your own homies, except these dudes can be a little more objective. This is a super fun listen to when you've got a high off a Lakers win. I thought I was going to say when you're high. I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, yes. That also that too, I guess. And that is the end of the review. Oh, nice. Well, thank you, WWW Garay. Uh, always cool yeah. to hear. Always cool to hear from our very first listeners back in the day. Uh, the fact that we're top three back then is really cool. 
what went into your channeling of uh, Marcus Morris Sr. there, Tommy, as you were reading it, as you were reading WWW Gary's review? I was just trying to imagine what it would be like to be one of the dirtiest players in the NBA and how I would read a review in such a circumstance. Damn, well, you read it very aggressively and flagrantly, <laughs> my friend. But yes, thank you, WWW Garay, for getting us uh, one rating and review closer to 420, because yes, this is an amazing podcast to listen to when you're high. So please help us get to 420 five-star ratings and reviews. So with that said, with the plugging out of the way, let's get on to the Lakers uh, closing this first round out. I have some basic team stats after round one. Obviously, this will not be including what happens tonight with the uh, the games that went on tonight with Miami and, and the Bucks and uh, the Houston Rockets and Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, but with regards to basic team stats, uh, the Lakers are fourth in the playoffs in points scored, averaging 117.2 a game, obviously bolstered by these last few games against Portland. They are third in field goal percentage behind the Clippers and Jazz at 48.4%. They are unfortunately still 13th out of 16 teams in the bubble in three-point percentage at 34%, but that was uh, a given, and obviously there's still room for improvement in that area. Uh, free throw percentage, another given. They're dead last at 70%, That's with the Bucks crazy, right man. behind them. Yeah, the Bucks are right behind them with just a percentage point higher. Tonight's stats not included. Rebounding, the Lakers are fourth. Assists, they're third behind the Bucks and Raptors, averaging 26 assists, mainly off the back of LeBron James, who's averaging 10.2. Um, steals, they're second behind the eliminated Pacers, averaging 8.8 a game. And when it comes to blocks, they are first in the league, averaging 5.8 blocks. If we talk about the advanced stats, offensive rating-wise, the Lakers currently rank sixth with a 114.7 rating behind the Celtics, Raptors, Nuggets, Clippers, and Jazz. Uh, defensive rating, they are also sixth with a 104.1 rating, likely skewed by the fact that the last game, or last few games actually, in which we played terrible defensively and allowed Portland to just get up a ton of shots, uh, that's probably why we're not hovering more in the anticipated or expected like one, two, three spots. Uh, but still, we know what this team did to one of the best offensively rated teams in the seeding games in Portland. I think they were actually number one with 122. And then overall, net rating-wise, the Lakers are number three with a 10.4 rating behind just the Celtics and Raptors. Uh, LeBron James averaged a triple-double, 27.4 points, 10.2 rebounds, 10.2 assists, 1.2 steals on 60% from the field, 46% from three, hitting 2.6 a game. He is 12 of 20 from three in his last three games, hitting four apiece in each game. And he's only doing it in 33 minutes uh, in the first round. Uh, Anthony Davis, on the other hand, 29.8 points, 9.4 rebounds, 4.2 assists, 1.4 steals, 1.6 blocks on 57% from the field, 39% from three, hitting 1.4 a game. He's shooting an uncharacteristically low 70% from the free throw line, but that should course correct itself, and it's crazy that you can say, room for improvement for Anthony Davis. So, Tommy, I laid all that out there. Let's just talk about, on a macro general level... How did they do it, Tommy? How did they beat the Blazers in round one after that lackluster game one? And I guess I kind of cued you to the answer because uh, LeBron James and Anthony Davis are pretty good. Yeah, LeBron James and Anthony Davis were pretty good. I also think the Blazers were just not that good. Like, look, we it was a fun story. They did play very well in the seeding games. LeBron said it in his postgame interview after this series was over. But he said, like, 
you know, this team and Phoenix were like playing the best basketball in the bubble. I actually think Phoenix would have been a more difficult matchup. I mean, Portland. Mm, hot take? No, no, I don't, I, I don't know. That's Literally, hot Phoenix hot? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I think like, you know, Portland, and this is why I ultimately, and I might come back to regret these words, but this is why ultimately I don't think Houston is going to be that tough of a series. I don't think, like, the Lakers are too good to be beat by, like, a gimmicky team. You know what I mean? Like, a team that only does one thing. And if, and in Portland's case, I think all they do with this roster, certainly, most years, but certainly with this roster, is play offense. Um, they didn't have the depth, the energy, the you know, defend, frankly, the personnel to like play defense. Um, and they were just winning games on Dame's brilliance. I mean, they went six and two in the bubble. One of those games, they lost to a Clipper team that was like trying to lose <laughs> or, you know what I mean? And like, mm-hmm. I can't remember what the other one was like maybe against Boston, the teams that they played that were like remotely good and actually trying to win the games. They didn't, play very well. I mean, they barely beat the Nets who had nothing to play for in the last game to even make it into the playoffs that in Portland was playing all eight of these games, like game sevens. I mean, we were just saying like, yeah, this team can score 120. First of all, they're not going to score 120 a game against us. And then second of all, like they give up 120 a game. So, you know, our struggles are all on the offensive end. Our consistency issues are all on the offensive end. And when LeBron and AD can just score at will against this team that just had no answer for them at either position, it it should have been a no brainer. I am glad it ended up becoming a no brainer. Um, but yeah, I mean, a fantastic conclusion after the first game to the series. Um, and I think, the only reason it was not a sweep was because our offense didn't show up for one game. And, you know, I wouldn't read too much into how well our offense is doing, obviously, um, based on just the pure stats from this series, because Portland was that bad defensively. Um, but it was nice, you know, for us to get our offense some reps, get up to speed as we play Houston, who is not going to be the best defensive, or most likely Houston, I should caveat, but, who, you know, who's not going to be the best defensive team in the league, but they are going to put pressure on us certainly more than mm-hmm. Portland did. So we're slowly ramping ourselves up on that end, which will, which will be good. And we'll get into the Houston Rockets. They are actually, I think, ranked number one in defensive rating in the playoffs. So they've been playing some pretty uh, tough defense. Obviously, they have not faced the likes of Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So all that is going to come to a head. Uh, the one shot that the Blazers had against the Lakers outside of making a million threes, which we made life difficult for them in that respect, was to hope that LeBron James and Anthony Davis and the rest of the team wouldn't hit their jump shots, right? And for the most part, the rest of the team fulfilled that promise, and they didn't shoot very well. (laughs) But LeBron James and Anthony Davis hit their jump shots, and that is an understatement, especially these last three games. I mean... Dude, AD just could not miss. No, especially from the mid-range, right? Pretty much after that that first game where he he shot 8 of 24, uh, he got a pep in his step... He squared up on all of his jump shots. Uh, he almost does that weird Robert Ori like leg kick thing in a different way. And his shot has looked so pure ever since game two onward. And then LeBron James got on one of his three-point hot streaks where I don't really remember the last time he hit four threes in three consecutive games, but he did so efficiently as well. 12 for 20 is ridiculous. And yeah, that totally dismantled any hopes or chances that the Blazers had in trying to make this a series. And is this sustainable, this jump shooting trend from Anthony Davis and LeBron James? Probably not. But your hope is the rest of the guys will 
positively regress to the mean, right? Because outside of Anthony Davis and LeBron James, uh, the four guys after them who played at least 20 minutes, that's KCP, Kuzma, Danny Green, and Alex Caruso, all four of those guys shot below 40% from the field. That's crazy. I think it's ridiculous. And we still I mean, dominated. Yeah. I mean, we still dominated. But the thing is, we, you know, that's what I'm, we're kind of fortunate. And this is why it's like people are like, oh, being the one seed, it doesn't matter. Home court advantage is gone. No, no, no. It still matters because you play the worst. You have the easy, you create the easiest road for yourself to the finals. That's the whole point of this, right? So, you know, we're kind of lucky we're getting these kinks out of our system against teams that are this bad. You know, right? and not to say Portland's like the worst team in the NBA, but among the options, you know, and who are left in the playoffs. So we really, that stuff needs to be cleaned up or else we are not going to have a chance against the elite teams in the league, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And and at least you can say, thank God that we have a safety valve in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And thank God we have a safety valve in our defensive fundamentals, right? Because as poorly as those guys shot, um, on the offensive end, those four guys also contributed defensively in a big, big way. So props to the whole Lakers team for at least setting that foundational baseline for us that we could hang our or hook our horse up to, which is defense. And uh, this is what you're going to get. But hopefully everything will sort of level out in these coming series. Uh, with that said, we'll take it to our first break. And when we return, we'll talk about any additional observations or trends that we saw from the Lakers as they moved on uh, throughout this series. And then we'll also look ahead to potentially facing off against the Houston Rockets or the Oklahoma City Thunder. So we will catch you guys after the break. All right, so we are back. Fun fact, LeBron James and Anthony Davis are the first Lakers duo since Kobe and Shaq in 2002 in the 2002 NBA Finals against the Nets to score at least 35 plus points each in the same game. It's pretty crazy. I don't know what the stat is for what's the last Lakers duo to both average at least 27 points in the same series. I'm guessing maybe Kobe and Pau did it, but regardless, uh, incredible performance by LeBron James and Anthony Davis, obviously. Tommy, who do you think are the top three guys on the Lakers in terms of defensive rating? Oh, I might know the answer to this. So That's fine. it might not be make the point you're trying to make, but I'm pretty sure it is um, Caruso, Kuzma, and AD. Yep, you are correct. Ding, ding, ding. It's uh, number one, Alex Caruso with a 90.9 rating. Cal Kuzma second with a 94.2. Anthony so Davis is third with a 96.9, followed by Markeith Morris and LeBron James. And I think if you extrapolate that out to the entire league, in terms of guys who played at least 20 minutes and at least three or four games, Alex Caruso is number one. I think that still holds true today, which is ridiculous. And obviously, we can get into Alex Caruso here. Going against the opponent, opposing team's best players, by the way. I know. I mean, one thing that stood out to me is just thinking about Alex Caruso and at least... I mean, we can talk about his offensive woes and, and whatnot, although his assists have gone up and he's I think averaging like 3.54 assists in this series and has gotten a little bit more comfortable running that pick and roll pick and pop with Anthony Davis but regardless of his shot being absent right now just the fact that you know coming out of round one that you can rely on Alex Caruso in this very baseline level it's crazy because let's say Alex Caruso never shores up his offensive game I actually don't think that matters that much because you look on the other side of guys like, in this season, 
uh, like a Lou Dort on the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's right. not an offense. He, he has no offense. I think he was 0 for 9 from 3 the last game. And they <laughs> pretty much just rely on this guy to play defense and be physical, right? Uh, in seasons past, you had guys like Andre Roberson, who I guess Lou Dort is Oklahoma City Thunder's new Roberson. Andre Roberson had no offensive game to him as well. Tony Allen is another good example, right? I think Alex Caruso is filling that sort of role for us on this team where it's just... Dude, this guy is just going to muck it up and make life difficult for perimeter guards on the other team. And he's going to add hustle, energy, activity. And it's just crazy to watch because that type of energy is very tangible and it translates to the rest of the team. So um, I guess since we're talking about Alex Caruso, do you have any observations that you want to add in? I really like how he's fighting through the fact that he's obviously a nobody and gets no calls. I mean, this dude gets no calls on offense. And I'm not saying he... I don't know what to, to say he deserves that means because I think that's kind of silly when people say that. But, you know, he he gets hammered sometimes and he doesn't necessarily get the same benefit of the doubt. Like, we're not talking and, and, and I'm, not to, I'm not trying to suggest here too much that reputation plays a role in how the refs call people. But we can all agree it plays some role, OK, to some degree on some nights. If you are known for being like a defender, you might get away with a little bit more than somebody who's just a random Joe Schmo, right? So I the thing that is the most impressive to me is when guys like... Like, AD is known for being an elite defender. You kind of expect to see his name up there. The fact that Caruso was going against, like, exclusively guarding CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard in this series, like... And is not a star and is not like a known name and was not getting the benefit of the doubt on calls and had to be like extra cautious. It's not like he could be overly physical with these guys, right? He's not like Pat Bev or something. So the fact that he was able to do all that and be the best defensive player in the bubble so far is just so incredible incredible to me. I, I still think there's a role, even if his offense isn't there. I just don't – the thing is he's so, so, so effective defensively that you want to maximize his time on the court. Sure. And right now with what we're playing him, which is you know 17-ish, 15 to 17 minutes a game, he comes in, he fills his role, and it's amazing. But if you start thinking about the fact that maybe we're the best version of ourselves when he's playing in the 25 to 30 minutes, okay, well then that's when it becomes a problem that the dude can't score at all. Right. So it's going to be difficult for Vogel. I think he's going to have to find that balance, but man, if this guy can just, I know this is probably expecting too much of him, but if he, if he can get hot for like a couple games at the right time in the Western conference finals, that could be the difference between us winning or losing. And maybe that's like an unremarkable thing to say. I just, he has such a impact on the defensive side of the floor that if he gives us literally anything on offense, you're just talking about like a like a serious like top fifty percent of starters in the NBA type of production at that point. Yeah, and actually he's averaging twenty four minutes a game, which is kind of crazy. But I yeah. guess to your point, that that'll work against the Portland Trailblazers, right? And exactly. that'll work when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are as hot as they are. But how are we going to survive against the Houston Rockets and? And maybe we will survive. It's, I mean, time, time will tell. But to your point, I mean, him just getting his three-point shot back and who knows what back means. He did have that one year where he shot like 40%, right? And maybe that was just a mirage. <laughs> um, I think that was LeBron's first year where he closed the season out like super hot. Yeah. But I mean, just shooting 33% from three is going to help him out a lot. I think one thing that's helping him out... 
I mentioned him in the pick and roll and being able to rack up these assists is good. But also when he's running that pick and roll with Anthony Davis, he's starting to drive more aggressively to the basket and just take it hard. And he's seeing the ball go in. So I think that should help him offensively. And, you know, as opposed to like a Lou Dort or like even an Andre Roberson, at least Alex Caruso can dribble the damn ball, right? No, so yeah, that's I agree. I, I will say the thing that has disgusted me the most about watching Lou Dort, and I think Lou Dort <laughs> has been, like, amazing defensively, to be clear. Like, I'm a big fan, actually. Like, I've never seen anyone cause this many fits for Harden. But this dude, like, if your shot isn't falling, drive or pass. You know what I mean? And, and for yeah. some reason, he just insists on bricking these wide-open threes. It's, like, pretty <laughs> brutal to watch. Too much Lou, Lou Dort shout-outs on this podcast. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, at the end of the day, Alex Caruso, amazing that you can get this type of production from a guy who you had major question marks about entering his first playoff series. Um, some other observations that we can go back and forth here. So our third guy in this series, which I guess goes back to my point about the four guys who average at least 20 minutes, like shooting below 40%. Our third guy offensively in this series, after LeBron James and Anthony Davis, is KCP. Who shot thirty eight percent from the field? Good. <laughs> I mean, he is, but he averaged just eleven points on thirty eight percent from the field. Now he did shoot forty percent from three, which is his biggest contribution. I oh, think hitting good. like two plus threes a game. So yeah, that's our third guy. And then obviously Kuzma averaged ten point eight points right behind him, but he only shot thirty six percent. I mean, offensively he did. Defensively Offens- he was offensively, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, defensively he was great. Yeah. But I think it is insane to think about. Yeah, again, how much we dominate the Blazers and yet how subpar offensively everyone else on our team look besides LeBron and AD. Like I mentioned, I think there's a positive regression coming for all of these guys. It's not even that they had a consistent 36% shooting every game, but it's more like that game two blowout and then that game four blowout, Kyle Kuzma was hot and then the other two games he like was one for seven or one for eight, you know? So I think just getting a more consistent performance from the guys will help and Granted, that inconsistency happened during the Lakers kind of rolling. So, yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we play a, a quirky team like the Houston Rockets, who may be giving us more fits than the Blazers did night to night. But I guess one other observation I want to bring up is, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but in the absence of a primary creator, even of like Rondo or Dion Waiters' ilk, I feel like outside of LeBron James, our passing as a team collectively has been really good. Uh, It seems like the ball is finding energy. And to the extent that our guys can be playmakers, they're doing it in a pretty good systematic way. They're really swinging the ball around, making that extra pass, especially Kyle Kuzma. He's passing up shots that he'd typically just chuck up there uh, to find that guy underneath the basket or to swing it to Danny Green on the wing. And it seems like a bunch of different guys are doing that, including guys you wouldn't expect, like JaVale McGee. JaVale McGee all of a sudden making smart reads to the baseline, throwing it to a wide-open three-point shooter. KCP's obviously been doing this. It's like I've seen a lot of hockey assist-type plays where the ball is moving around and zipping around a lot more. And that's what you kind of have to have when you have a team like us who there's not a lot of guys who can dribble the ball for themselves and create for another guy. And I just like seeing that progression through the games when you know game one it was like oh my god what are we going to do with our offense and it it seems like at least that there is some sort of offensive plan being implemented even with the limited skilled type of guys that we have um any other observations on your end we'll just go back and forth here if you want to touch upon that point as well about kcp specifically 
know about, you know, the offense kind of flowing better. And it seems like the guys, even outside of oh, yeah. LeBron James, like passing better. Yeah, yeah. No, I definitely feel like it's flowing better. We're starting to get back close to where we were, I think, in March. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, you know, the Avery is just such a big loss. He was hitting his jumpers. He became such a reliable weapon for us. And, you know, combined with his defense, I mean, honestly, he was becoming very quickly our third best player. And he has a history of like being like a, you know, mid-teen scorer on contending teams. So, you know, he is very capable of doing it. And I feel like was on his way there, but it's a bummer that we, that he's not going to be here. But I know despite that, I do think that the chemistry is picking up. I really think that J.R. Smith or Dion Waiters, like one of Dion hasn't really had a chance yet, but J.R. Smith is going to have to hit a shot if we're going to, yeah. if we're going to, you know, or like do something because he is such a defensive liability, which is weird because I think he's actually individually not a bad defender. Maybe being out of practice has hurt him, but mm-hmm. he has like, I don't, has he gone one game without fouling a jump shooter? I don't think he has. No, I don't dude. think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's been wild. And so, you know, it's, I have concerns about our offense like overall, but I think we are at least generating the looks that we need to generate. It's just a separate matter, of, you know, of whether we're actually going to hit those shots. Um, and I think if we get, I've talked to you about this so many times, but like if we hit a right, the right timing and, and we just get a lucky stretch, I want to call it lucky, but like we hit a, you know, maybe better than average stretch for KCP, Danny Green, you know, all in a row and coups, like it, we're going to be really dangerous. But I, I think it's, it's banking on too much. I'm I'm just for now I'm at least happy we're generating the looks and hopefully the shots fall. Yeah, for sure. Uh one thing I wanted to touch upon as well is just our bigs have looked great, and that includes yeah. JaVale McGee, Dwight Howard, and Markeith Morris. That that trio of guys has been really solid defensively. And yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there, especially Markeith Morris. They, they they're bringing the physicality, Dwight Howard especially. I think he had eleven points the last game. Um, I do not know how much those guys are going to play against the Houston Rockets, obviously. I don't know how much Frank Vogel is going to be able to ride that JaVale McGee starting lineup, although he's cut JaVale's minutes down significantly. I think he only played like 13 minutes the last game. Uh, It's good to see that JaVale is still producing in that limited time. Um, But we're probably going to need Dwight Howard, and we're definitely going to need Markeith Morris. Uh, So hopefully his three-point stroke can uh, round into form as well because he's uh, been very solid defensively. On that end, one last thing I want to throw out there, and I I kind of thought about this and had this observation after watching Kyle Kuzma's uh, game four performance where he had 18 points and his offensive diet was literally just three pointers. I think he hit five threes and one jump shot. And after that game, I came up with a comp for him uh, that I wanted to get your opinion on. And also like taking into account how amazing he's been on defense and how active he's been. What do you think about Cal Kuzma being like a slightly elevated version of prime Trevor Ariza. Oh. Because Ariza was just literally, I'm going to shoot threes, I'm going to defend and be long, and that's it. He had that one year after he was with the Lakers when he went over to the Rockets and he wanted to see 
what he could do as like a primary ball handler and that didn't go that well for him. He did average like four assists, but he had like three turnovers that year. Uh, but he eventually just went back to being like, I'm going to hit 2.53s a game and I'm just going to defend. And I think I got that impression from Kyle Kuzma, especially when he's flanked by superstars, right? He's not going to get very many opportunities to be in isolation situations anyways and get into a rhythm. So in that respect... I feel like Trevor Ariza on this team for Kyle Kuzma is a pretty good comp and template for him to follow. It's definitely a good comp. Um, I think, you know, obviously there, you know, there are obvious differences. Kuz has a way to go defensively to get to where Ariza was, but you know, Kuz has a lot of things he does offensively that Ariza could in. I mean, you know, I think ultimately the three and D archetype is something that I would have never as imagined in my life would be, maybe Kuz's most effective role in terms of building a career, you know, after his first season, certainly with the team, I was like, Oh, this is going to be like a offensive minded, uh, you know, wing essentially like an offensive minded stretch forward slash maybe big, small forward. And then he just became so cut. He became, you know, he, he started using slashing much more in his game. He, he's done so many things, um, differently, you know, with, with, uh, how he approaches the game and with his body and stuff. So he's really become like the three and D like archetype player. And I think that's like so much exactly what this team needs. Um, it's exactly what most teams need. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I think he's, uh, I'm, I'm really satisfied. So I don't know that like, you know, Trevor Reza, sure. That's like a comp, but it, to, to me, I just view it as like a, he's a, he's an amazing three and D player or he's developing into that. And, he's going to fit, you know, that role on this team. Yeah, and for a guy who didn't know his role the entire season, kind of like Alex Caruso, it's crazy that after round one, you can kind of look at Caruso and Kyle Kuzma and say, oh, this is what these guys are going to do, and they're going to set a foundational level of being defenders. And uh, that's crazy to even think about from young guys who have never been here before. Um, Okay, we'll take it to one last break, and when we return, we'll talk about the potential matchup between the Houston Rockets or the Oklahoma City Thunder. All right, so we're back, and we're not going to dwell too much on the Oklahoma City Thunder as I'm score-watching right now, but just in case uh, this goes to a Game 7 or whatever, I guess the question I want to ask you is, between Houston and OKC, do you prefer playing one team? I think for me, and this is maybe going to be a moot point, but I think I would still rather play the Thunder. I think it's easier to scheme against a team with two guys who can't shoot in Dort and Steven Adams. Uh, Dort as I mentioned before, was 0 for 9 from 3 the last game and has become the Thunder's new Andre Roberson. Chris Paul is still crafty and good, but not anything we haven't really prepared for after facing off against Damian Lillard. Dennis Schroeder obviously is pretty dynamic, but again, similar to what we saw with CJ and Dame. Danilo Gallinari, on the other hand, is an interesting wild card that I feel like we haven't faced yet because he's definitely going to stretch things out, although you could say Carmelo Anthony was sort of a proxy for Danilo. But still, overall, I think they're a little more predictable than Houston uh, to handle, where it's just they start a, a, a traditional big, you know, and they also have a shooting guard who can't shoot. Um, Shea Gilgis is, is dynamic. He's fun. He's young. But again, he's prone to making mistakes and whatnot. And you can, I think, um, capitalize on that. But yeah, for you, do you prefer OKC or, or Houston? My answer for this is weird because I prefer OKC. I sorry, I prefer. Sorry, I, I prefer to play OKC, but I also think OKC might be a more difficult matchup. 
if that makes sense. I, I think Houston does their weird, you know, style, and obviously you just never know. Sure, if they come out and they hit 23s, you're just not going to win that game, right? And they take so many that that's always like a possibility. Um, but on the other hand, OKC, I think, has a more well-balanced team, and they play defense. I mean, look, Houston is playing really good defense in this bubble. I feel like OKC doesn't necessarily have the players to exploit Houston's deficiencies. Um, but OKC played, at least over the course of the season and in bursts in this series, like such solid team defense. They have a really strong defensive big man in Steven Adams who they can play you know, 35 minutes plus a, a game against our, you know, a roster like ours. Chris Paul is one of the best perimeter defenders, even at his age. Shea Gilgis Alexander, their wings, like Dennis Schroeder off the bench, like they have so much length. I think they would have caused a lot of problems for us in terms of us being able to score. Ultimately, I think I agree with you that they do start a team where it's like, you don't have to guard Dort. You don't have to guard Adams on the perimeter anyway. Um, and so like, probably easier to scheme against them. I just think the Rockets series could go two ways, right? Like it could be, uh, you know, this is a battle, you know, six, seven game series that is just really hardly fought every game. And we maybe luck one or two out and, and we advance to the next round. Or it could be the case that the Rockets barely win once because they're a gimmick team and we've come up with a game plan to beat their gimmick and they just can't do anything, right? Like they go through bursts where they kind of look like that. So um, I think the uh, the Rockets are so good offensively that I, I prefer them as like, a, you know, a stepping stone to hopefully move on because I think the team that we may play in the Western Conference Finals is, is going to be so difficult that we're going to need this kind of practice. But... Yeah, I don't know. I think it's interesting because I actually think OKC is pretty good. I don't think this series with Houston is showing how good they are. And to be clear, I think like, you know, that that is factoring in that they are, you know, just down 3-2 and with a chance they're still in this game right now. So they're playing well, but I just don't think they – this is even as well as, as they could be if, if they have the right matchup. Sure. I will caveat that Russell Westbrook just returned for the Rockets the last game. So I guess we don't really have a – full clear picture of what the Rockets will look like, although obviously we have a sample size from the regular season. Um, let's move on now to talking about the Houston Rockets because I think I think highly of them more than you do. I think they're a quirky-ass team with uh, obviously a high upside if everything shakes out right for them with Westbrook and Harden and all these shooters. Jeff Green is amazing for some reason, which is crazy. Um, obviously, the, the Lakers' game plan will probably be to let Westbrook jack up a bunch of shots and play Harden the exact same way they played Dame and CJ, but try as best as possible not to reach in the cookie jar and get baited into Harden's BS foul calls, which you know is going to happen. Uh, as I mentioned, the Houston Rockets are better defensively for sure, miles ahead of the Portland Trailblazers. They are the number one team in defensive rating in the bubble. Um, offensively, they like to bait you into doing things that deviate from your typical game plan, but play into theirs. It's like a, like a mind warp, mind F thing that they do that the Lakers can't fall into, which they have in the past. Um, I think, okay, so against the Rockets, right, they don't have deterrence in the paint like the, the Blazers did, even though, you know, Hassan Whiteside and Nurkic aren't defensive dynamos but they are still seven footers right who made things harder whenever lebron james and anthony davis finally got in there as evidenced by hassan whiteside you know swatting away a couple of a couple of lebron shots so the rockets don't have that and the lakers will probably have such an easy time finishing around the rim 
But I think in the absence of those big guys and smaller defenders in the paint, Anthony Davis and LeBron James have to really watch out for offensive foul calls on them because I feel like it's going to happen like three out of every six possessions if we're not careful. Um, But if they're careful, the the Lakers should really feast and finish even better uh, near the rim and get a bunch of offensive rebounds. We kind of saw that play out during the seeding games when uh, LeBron James wasn't playing. Um, But yeah, in a weird way, and you mentioned, you know, the Rockets may be a good stepping stone or test in facing the Clippers potentially. I feel like the Rockets are kind of similar to the Clippers in the sense that their best lineups will kind of be switchy, small wing scorers and defenders. You know what I mean? I mean, the, the only difference with the Clippers to me is that their best players, and I guess it's the big difference, their best players obviously are six, eight wings and that they can, I guess, insert a Zubats. But if you take Zubats out of the equation, the ro- the roster construction is sort of similar. You know what I mean? They got Jeff Green... P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington as their wing defenders, and then their scorers just so happen to be Russell Westbrook and James Harden. Um, so in that sense, I feel like they kind of mimic uh, the Clippers, at least in terms of the players that they have. Schematically, they'll probably be totally different, especially with the green light they have, chucking it up from three. Um, but I think in that sense, that's where they can be lethal, and that's where and that's probably how they're so good defensively, just having a bunch of switchable wings. Now, against the Lakers' size with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, that could totally tip the scales in our favor. Um, but I guess, yeah, it just it, it'll just go back to how disciplined I think the Lakers can be. I'm confident they will be, given how they stuck to the, the defensive game plan in um, round one. I hope Frank Vogel eventually pulls the plug on the, you know, JaVale McGee starting lineup um, after game one and that we kind of I wouldn't say like match the Houston Rockets but we can definitely beat them at their own game uh, and still play at the sort of pace that we want to and even just inserting Markeith Morris instead of JaVale will help do that but yeah what are your thoughts on a matchup against Houston Rockets some some concerns you may have and some I guess things that we can exploit on our end as well. Well, my main concern is, I think, a trap that a lot of teams that play Houston fall into. I think OKC has fallen into it in long bursts in this series. Um, Houston plays such an absurd lineup that feels so easily exploitable by just running them over, like running into the paint and having your tall guys hold the ball above their head and just throw it in, you know, like the, like if you had Bill Russell in like the 1950s or you know, something like that, like, so it, it it just feels like teams are so focused on trying to do that that they don't just run their normal offense understanding that like if you the idea of running your normal offense is either to get wide open threes or to get shots at the rim and if you get shots at the rim against Houston you're fairly likely to finish them because they don't have anyone to shot block i mean they have Covington who has good length but that's about it right and so it, it, I my biggest fear with playing Houston is the guy. They try to overthink it. They try to be like, "Well, we're the size team, and the, we're known for our size, so we're gonna like pound it in." And I think that could cost us an early series loss if we like focus too hard on doing that. Because 
Houston might not have shot blockers, but they can steal the ball. I mean, they have 11 steals in this game. They're only in the third quarter. Robert Covington himself has five. I mean, you said yourself they're the number one defensive rating team in the in the mm-hmm. uh, playoffs so far. Like, part of that is they're playing the Thunder, who have been pretty ineffective offensively. Um, because, but part of that is because the Thunder are trying to do what I, you know, said teams shouldn't do, which is like try to force things that are outside of what they normally do in their offense, just because they think that they need to exploit mismatches that they have, like optically, but. That's the thing that concerns me the most about Houston. Ultimately, I think we can stop what they do. It's going to be, if we have games where we only hit like four or five threes, it's just going to be so hard to, you know, be making up 35, 40 point differences on the, you know, three point line as good as we are in the paint and getting up, getting to the free throw line. I mean, it's just like, we're going to have to hit at least like eight to 10. It's like a baseline, mm-hmm. you know, just to, which is not asking for the world. It's just like, we have to hit like our average amount or we're just not going to have a chance. Um, and so, you know, th- those are concerns obviously when playing a team like Houston, but ultimately I think it'll be similar to Portland. Houston's had a tough series with OKC. They only play six, they only play like seven or sorry, like eight guys as part of their core rotation and maybe... True. They'll rotate in a ninth for a few minutes sometimes, but predominantly they play eight guys. We're going to run their ass off the floor. James Harden doesn't really look, to be honest, like to me, like he's in that great of shape. I mean, he's still playing very well, but he looks chunky out there, dude. <laughs> you know, and like he's going to, he doesn't, I guess, have a huge responsibility, but I mean, PJ Tucker is going to be dead by the end of the series. I it just like yeah. these guys are going to be so worn out by us. I just, in a seven game series, I don't see how they could outlast us, but you know, it doesn't mean they're not a good team. They're, they're still good. It's just, it, this is, I don't think a great matchup for them. Yeah. I'll go back to maybe the refs. <laughs> the refs could be yeah. a deciding point That's true. Uh, because that will dictate how physical we can be. I'm, I'm encouraged by the fact that that didn't play into the Portland trailblazers hands in round one with Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. But I mean, James Harden is the king of this sort of, you know, play. Russell Westbrook, too, actually. And Russell Westbrook kind of does it in a different way than James Harden because he's much more brash about how he gets his fouls because he's so explosive. So if they're attacking us from both those types of ends, I mean, and we're not composed or disciplined, uh, it could go downhill pretty quickly. But, yeah, I'm not too concerned because, you know, I'm getting PTSD flashbacks to that one bubble seating game where we hit like the worst three point percentage in NBA history. I think we were like five of 31 or something ridiculous like that. Uh have to remember that LeBron James wasn't playing that game. Um, but yeah, it, we just need to not do a little bit better than that. Play the type of defense we have been playing. LeBron James continues his, you know, playoff LeBron thing where he is essentially the best player in the NBA right now at age 35, which is crazy to say and think about. Um, but yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that right now. The the Rockets are up 75-69 in the third. Um, but so far, go Lakers. We're out of the first round, and uh, it should be fun watching this team you know, continue to scheme against other teams and just watch the progression of freaking Anthony Davis in these playoffs become more and more just a sure player, an aggressive player, and yeah, that stroke is so smooth. I guess that's why they were playing smooth operator. I don't know if that had any, <laughs> I don't know if there was any tie to that, but it was very fitting. Uh, with that said, we will leave it there unless Tommy had anything else to bring up. 
Nothing for me. Sweet. So we'll leave it right there. Thank you guys for listening. Please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on iTunes. We are just three ratings and reviews away from 420. Uh, So, yeah, with that said, we'll catch you guys in round two against the Houston Rockets or the Oklahoma City Thunder. So, Tommy, I will catch you later. Later. Peace. (laughs) Peace.